0: 24 and we'll pick up in verse number 25 of chapter 12 and that's where we'll start reading but it says and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John whose surname was Mark and then in verse or chapter number 13 the Bible says in verse number 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon or Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene or Serenian, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Ghost said separate me and Barnabas and Saul for the work uh, excuse me, I lost my place, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed in Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So here we find that the great apostle Paul is about to step in to the history of the church in such a way at this point that he will both be marked by opposition to his spiritual office, and he will mark others by the force of his conversion and calling. This is where we find the first missionary journey begins. Um, Up until this point, the book of Acts has focused on that initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Um, It's centered around Peter and his efforts, and it has... Um, talked about Paul and his supernatural conversion. Saul, if you will, the persecutor of Christians and his supernatural conversion and their efforts. But now we're kind of turning or transitioning into Paul and his missionary journeys. And so the time that Acts 13 centers around Um, scholars, historians place that to be around A.D. 46 to 47. And so this has significance because it means that Paul has around 20 years of his life left for ministry. He will call for Timothy to make full proof of his ministry in his last letter, which is 2 Timothy, and then he faces the executioner's sword at the chopping block. So if ever there was a man who would make full proof of his ministry, Paul would certainly feel that requirement. We find that he has about 20 years of his life left, and he's going to make the most of it um, carrying out the mission that God has sent him on. There are times when we may feel as if all of our time in our own life has gotten away from us, but we can look at Paul as an example where you can make the most of the time that God has given you by placing God first in your life and putting all of your efforts, your energies, your attention into what God is calling us to do and to be. We can take a spiritual lesson from this and it is for us to remember that our lives are very short and that we have to do everything that we can with the sense of discipline about us, it's very easy for us to um, squander the days away and and um, watch time uh, tick away. Every everyone uh, under the sound of my voice here in person, or maybe viewing this through our live stream, can testify to the fact that life gets away from us very quickly, and that is why it's important for us to make the most of our days and try to focus our energies and our attention on God and putting God first and seeing what it is that He would have us do and the places that He would have us go and the things that He would have us say. It's spiritual wise for us to figure out what the priorities of spiritual life are all about so that our talents and our giftings can be used for His kingdom. Prayer, the word, and being sensitive to the Holy Ghost can cause greater focus in a world that is filled with distractions. We know that our life is busy. We know that they're they're filled with distractions. But when we focus on God, when we focus on prayer, it helps push aside the distractions and us get focused on God. So, Acts chapter 13, verse number 1, where we started our reading. It says, now there were in the church that was Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And the Bible lays out uh, a few names here. Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Serene, and Menaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And so the Bible, the writer here, Luke, of the book of Acts found it necessary to record these individuals Names. There's four of these men that had interesting connections with the apostles and with the Lord Jesus. The Bible mentions Simeon or Niger. He was a man from Africa, and some scholars associate him with the same individuals as Simon the Serene, who carried the cross of the Lord. He would become a believer, and both of his sons would become believers as well. They were Rufus and Alexander whom were saluted by Paul in Romans 16. And then the Bible here, in chapter number 13 of Acts, they, it mentions Lucius of Cyrene. He was from North Africa, but nothing further is known of him. The Bible doesn't tell us much more of him, but historians say that this man was from North Africa. And then you have Menaean, whose scholars feel that this man may have been a foster brother of Herod Antipas, because they were brought up together and when Luke is pinning his gospel in the acts we glean a lot of information about Herod and his household and Menaean could well have been the man who was supplying him with this inside information so when you read the book of Luke and when you read acts you find that there's a lot that is written about Herod in great detail and so historians believe that it may have that information may have come from this man named and so when you gather in Saul and Barnabas this group of Christian brothers one can see the great cultural diversity that was present in the church in Antioch and so we've talked about it as we've gone through the book of Acts that God uh, supernaturally spread people out among uh, the region in which they lived and dwelled in and this was for the furtherance of the gospel and so the gospel began to be preached and taught to every culture, to every tongue, to every people, the Gentiles, the Jews, the Greeks. And so we find here in these four men that are made mention along with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 that there was cultural diversity among these men, among these leaders in the church, these preachers and these teachers. And so it's a model for us in our in our church culture today that we need to have um, it's good for us to have a diverse people a diverse um, thought and uh, many cultures if you will it's easy for us to fall into the trap of one thought and um, one people but God's called us to reach all people everywhere to break down culture, cultural barriers and ensure that everyone has equal opportunity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These men served as prophets and teachers. They knew that what worship and prayer and fasting was all about. These were the key fundamentals to the empowerment of the Spirit, and they knew this. And this atmosphere of worship made it very easy for the Holy Ghost to speak to them. The first matter of the message was that Saul and Barnabas be set apart. The Bible says that that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So here you have this church in Antioch and they're in this atmosphere of prayer and they're in this atmosphere of worship and the Holy Ghost speaks to them and says hey separate Paul and Barnabas or the Bible says Saul who later became Paul separate them for the work that I have called them to do and so it's in an atmosphere of prayer it's in an atmosphere of worship it's in an atmosphere of focus and dedication Upon the things of God. That the Holy Ghost can speak. It's in an atmosphere like that. Where we can find ourselves most in tune. With the spirit of God. And so the Holy Ghost speaks and says. Hey separate Paul or Saul and Barnabas to me. Because I have a work that I've called for them to do. And so it was in this atmosphere that the Holy Ghost spoke. And so being set apart is always going to be a crucial matter for any believer, but particularly those who are involved in Christian ministry and service. The Bible uses the phrase, set apart. Paul would use this same description when he was writing some of his epistles about his calling, and we find this in Romans and in Galatians, but he would also use the same word when he was calling for others to set themselves apart from the dangers of compromise and false doctrines that would jeopardize their relationship with God and the church. So it's important we see that Paul and Barnabas be set apart. And in any Christian, in any believer that's going to do something for God, that's going to be a witness, a testifier, someone that's going to live in covenant relationship with God, they have to be set apart. We're set apart from the things of the world. We're set apart from the things that the world does. The places they, they go. The way that they think and act and talk. We're set aside from sin and wickedness and, and worldly living. And we're set uh, aside from uh, all of the things of this world. The darkness and the unrighteousness. And we're joined together with God. We're joined together with His mission. We're joined together with His word. We're joined together with... Uh, for his service to the kingdom. We're we're joined together to righteousness. We're joined together with holiness. We're joined together with godly living. So we're set apart. We're set aside for the things of God. But there is another matter with being set apart than just salvation and for personal holiness. It also has to do with being involved in the work that they had been called to do. And that's what the Bible says the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work. So we're set aside from the things of the world and we're set to our our compass, our direction, our needle points towards the things of God and it's for the work, the work of the kingdom. And this is a recurring theme that we see in the work of Paul throughout his life in Acts 14, 15, 1 Corinthians. We find it in Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians and his letters to Timothy that he was set aside for the work. This work that they had been called to do will be very instrumental in reaching beyond to the larger world of the Gentiles. It's all about God pushing his, 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 his servants out into the world to reach people to teach to people, to affect them, to have an effect upon them, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his mouthpiece, to be instruments and tools for his service. And so the church in Antioch recognized what was taking place with the Holy Ghost speaking so clearly to them. They have been called by the Spirit, but they will be commissioned by the church. So it was the Spirit that had called them, but the church was commissioning them to go forth. And this takes place by the laying on of the hands. The Bible says that when they, in verse number 3, that when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. And so this matter of the laying on of hands is a recurring practice that we find throughout the Acts history. The laying on of hands is associated with a number of things. A lot of people in the church world do, don't have a proper understanding of laying on of hands, but um, in the Pentecostal world in which we live, we're very familiar with laying on of hands. And so that's associated with a few things. The Bible talks about the laying on of hands being in conjunction with prayer. It's when a ministry task is being commissioned. We find that here, that they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. We find it... The Bible talks about it for the imparting of the Spirit and we find it associated with healing. So there's a supernatural occurrence that happens when when men and women in prayer lay their hands on other believers and link up to them that God moves upon them and through them and there's something supernatural that happens. And so that's what the Bible says in verse number 3 that they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. And we find that in Acts 13 and 4 that this is where this transition takes place. So Saul and Barnabas up to this point in chapter 13 they are at the church in Antioch. And these leaders of this church are in an atmosphere of worship. They're in an atmosphere of prayer. They're, They're focusing on the things of God and that's where they hear the Holy Ghost speak to them that we want you to release Saul and Barnabas, set them apart. There's a work that I've got for them to do. And so they bring Saul and Barnabas and they pray for them, they lay their hands on them, and they commission them, they, they send them away. Some believe that um, more than just sending them away with prayer, there may have been provision that was given, um, that they helped enable them and empower them to go their journey and so then finally we get to Acts 13 and 4 and this is where they actually begin their missionary journey so I'm going to invite someone here to to read with me if someone has Acts 13 and 4 if you'd like to to help me read here everybody's looking at you brother BJ (laughs) So there is a lot that Brother BJ just read there. So let's unpack this exactly what has happened. So in coming to the first missionary journey, Saul and Barnabas are about to be separated for their work. They had traveled from Jerusalem, which was about three hundred miles, and would have taken them about eighteen days to travel this by foot. And so Saul and Barnabas, they they go to this port in Seleucia, and this was about a fifteen just 16-mile walk for them. And it was there that a Roman fleet for this region would have been there and would have provided transportation to and from the island of Cyprus in land at Salamis, which was about 130 miles away. The fleet would have also been able to navigate the Great Mediterranean Sea as well as several um, other areas throughout the time. And we find that during Paul's journey that, that he's navigating to these various areas by um, sailing on these, these boats. And so, you know, for us, we just get in the car and we drive somewhere. And it's very easy for us to travel somewhere. But think about Saul and think about Barnabas and they're walking to where they're going. And then when they get there, they've got to get on a boat. And it's not a boat that is like the Carnival Cruise Line that leaves out of New Orleans. But it's a boat that's going to be um, have some sort of sail on it perhaps and oars, long oars where they're they're rowing these boats. And so it was quite a task for them to, to travel and to journey around. And so it was no small feat for them to go to these various places. And so when these two men arrived at Salamis, they looked for Jewish synagogues which was a pattern all throughout the book of Acts. When we read Acts and as we've gone through our study, when they get to a a city, they go to the Jewish synagogue. And Paul's primary calling throughout his life, we find, would be to the Gentiles, but in each city, he would go to the synagogue and preach to the Jews first. And he writes in Romans, we find later on, that he acknowledged that the gospel was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And this was a pattern that played out in his life where he would preach to the Jews, but ultimately... Uh, he would be preaching to the Gentiles. And this would put him before kings and before rulers and doors would be open for him to preach to all types of various individuals. And so it says that when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And then it says they had gone through the Isle of Paphos. They found a certain source or false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. And so this city Salamis—it was a city of about 150,000 people, and it had the same sort of setup that most cities uh, in that time had. And it was a heavy Roman influence. It had um, an amphitheater. It had uh, uh, the Colosseum uh, in Rome. You know all these things that they were exposed to. They were a very advanced civilization. Um, they they had all sorts of uh, pagan worship that plagued them. Uh, there were all kinds of false gods and false deities that were set up that they that they worshiped and, and paid homage to. and uh, so it was a very interesting place that Paul or Saul and Barnabas was finding themselves going going to. And so Paul's missionary work during this period, this is what one, Uh, commentary had to say about Paul's missionary work. And I found this to be uh, very interesting. It said, this writer says, Paul's missionary work during this period has the best claim to being called a missionary journey, as is customary on Bible maps. So many of you have uh, physical Bibles, written Bibles. And if you go to the back of that, you'll find some maps. And typically on those maps, they'll have laid out Paul's First missionary journey and second missionary journey and so on. And it'll have little arrows on it. And so that's what it's, it's labeled, missionary journey. The later periods were much more devoted to extended activity in significant key cities of the ancient world. And we gain a false picture of Paul's strategy if we think of him as rushing rapidly on missionary journeys from one place to the next leaving small groups of half-taught converts behind him. It was his general policy to remain in one place until he had established the firm foundation of a Christian community or until he was forced to be moved by circumstances beyond his control. So it's very easy for us to fall into this um, pattern of thinking that, that, that Paul was just always on the move and that he was in a different place um, every day or every week, but that wasn't at all the case. Paul actually would go to these cities and he would stay for an extended length of time. And that was to establish people in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And so it serves as an example for us the importance of discipleship and pouring into people, not just giving them uh, small nuggets of truth um, there's been many people that have risen up and they do these drive-bys, if you will, of the gospel and of the doctrine. And it's effective for a one-time experience, but as far as teaching people how to live for God and have a proper relationship with God, it's really not that effective. And we find in the way that Paul approached things that he he found it necessary to pour into for an extended period of time to make sure that people understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, to build a proper foundation. So verse um, number 6 says that when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of The country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. This man that Saul and Barnabas run into is Bargesus or or Elimus. He is identified as a sorcerer or a magician, but he also has some other characteristics in that he is a false prophet and a Jew. Some scholars think that he could have been heavily influenced by the Persian fire priest who would have been from Syria. So we have this man who's a false prophet. He is a sorcerer, he's a magician, he's dabbling in all sorts of things. And this is who Paul and Barnabas encounter when they get to their destination. This man was a diviner who practiced various rituals and claimed to be able to make dead appear as shadows or spirits of ancestors. He was involved in in uh communication with the dead he could foretell the future through astrology he could perform magical spells to heal or even to make some sick he can interpret dreams you know a lot of people discount in our culture today the 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 real realness or the reality of uh darkness and the power that um darkness and evil spirits have i saw recently i was reading Uh, something that I saw online and there were some people that were um, basically sounding an alarm about um, these various uh, witchcraft books and things that were uh, found on bookshelves in the children's section at bookstores and uh, they literally were getting mocked because they were sounding the alarm on this and they were saying you know people uh, proponents of it were saying that hey it's just make-believe it's just fiction um, you know it's not going to hurt anything but you read the Bible and you've encountered things firsthand many of you have that, that this, this stuff is real witchcraft is real sorcery is real um, the spirit world is real and it stands in opposition to God to his message uh, to his children And that's his job, is to oppose and resist. And so that stuff is real. So you find that this man Bar-Jesus, that this is the sort of man that he is. And because of these abilities that he has, the Roman uh, proconsul, Sergius Paulus, had employed him to help him with ruling the city and more likely than not, keeping him informed of political plots or military coups that might be lodged against him. So you have this man this that, that is in position in Rome or through the Roman government and he's a ruler over this city and he's taken this man of darkness to be uh, kind of his right-hand man to, to, to rule with him. And so... Uh when Saul and Barnabas, they were called to present themselves by this ruler, Sergius Paulus, it's this, uh, this Bar-Jesus who seemed to take this as a threat and set about to stop them. That's what I'm saying, that that it's the job of the enemy to try to stop, to try to resist, to try to oppose. And so Sergius Paulus is called a prudent man by Luke and we can determine that he was probably an intelligent man who desired to know something about the word of God so all of the things that had happened in the book of acts it 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 had been flamed or, or spread like wildfire and word had gotten out about what was going on some of the 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 divine miracles that were being performed through the disciples so it would be of no surprise that this man would know something about what was going on, he had heard something, and so he wants to um he calls for for Barnabas, he calls for Saul to come in unto them, but it's this other man, bar Jesus, who feels a threat he's wanting to oppose he's wanting to stop what is going on the word of God, and so we find that that this is a spiritual battleground that that Saul and Barnabas found themselves on. They're being opposed. Um, the enemy is trying to stop. The enemy is trying to resist the, the word of God. And it, it's coming from this uh, sorcerer. The Bible says in verse number 8 that he withstood them. And he was trying to turn away the deputy from the faith. I don't know about you, but I've encountered people in my life that I've tried to witness to, I've tried to uh, to uh, talk about the Word of God to, that I've preached to, that I've tried to uh, have an impact on, and it seemed like there was always someone else standing in the picture that was opposing, that was resisting, that was in their ear, trying to keep them from buying in to the faith. And we find that that is exactly what happened in this situation. And verse number 9 says. Then Saul who also is called Paul. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Set his eyes on him. So he sets his eyes on Bar-Jesus. And said. O full of all subtility and all mischief. Thou child of the devil. Thou enemy of all righteousness. Will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. And now behold the hand of the Lord is upon thee. And thou shalt be blind not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him amidst in the darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. The, the apostle Paul, just like all the other apostles, they minced no words. But you know how much faith it takes to set your eyes upon someone that is trying to oppose the word of God and speak out to them in the boldness that Paul just spoke out on. It takes boldness but it takes faith. If you're going to be bold in the things of the Lord you've got to have faith. You've got to be fully persuaded in the things of God and you've got to be fully persuaded in His power because what did Paul do? Paul called him uh, a perverter, of an enemy of righteousness Uh, he called him someone that that is a child of the devil who tries to pervert the right ways of the Lord. That's strong language there. But then he steps out in faith and he says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and thou shalt be blind for a season. He's proving the power of God. He's proving the word of God, stepping out in faith and in boldness. The miraculous taking place. And the Bible says immediately there fell on him amidst and a darkness. Through the faith of Paul. Through the word of Paul he speaks out. It's application for our life. Don't be afraid to speak out against the things that would oppose God. That would oppose what God is trying to use you for in your world. Don't be afraid to speak out with boldness. And speak the things of God. Because God will empower you. God will enable you. And what does verse number 12 say that happened? Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. This man was converted. The Bible says that he believed. We don't read here where he, was, uh, where he repented, where he was baptized in Jesus' name, where he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But the Bible does say that he believed the word of the Lord. He believed Paul. He believed Barnabas because they were willing to speak out in faith. So we've covered many things this morning. Just as a recap, we have talked about Paul and Barnabas. This is their first missionary journey. And they were at this church in Antioch. In that church, they had a culture of worship. They had a culture of praise, of dedication, and prayer to God. And it was in that culture, in that environment, in that atmosphere that they heard the Holy Ghost speak. And the Holy Ghost said, Hey, separate Barnabas and Paul because I've got a work for them to do. And so the church called them and commissioned them and sent them out. And they went on this journey to do a work for the Lord. And when these two men went on this journey, immediately there on this journey, they came against an opposer. They came against a resistor. They came against someone that tried to stop the work of the Lord in that region. But Paul and Barnabas being full of the Holy Ghost and being full of faith and being fully persuaded that the power of God was greater in them than the power of the world, than the power of the enemy. And so they didn't let this opposer, they didn't let this resistor stop them, but instead... They called down the power of God upon this man, and darkness and, and blindness hit him. And because of the miraculous, because of the power of God, because of his word, this other man who is in high power, and authority, and position, the Bible says that he believed. That he believed. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to get ready to close this out in prayer. But we find throughout the remainder of Acts 13... I'm going to give us a little bit